Today's Center Reefs Nation podcast was brought to you by Manscaped. Head to manscaped.com and use the promo code capital C, capital L, Nation, and to receive 20% off plus free delivery on all their products. Welcome to today's podcast of Sunrise Nation. This is Pat LaRusso, soon to be joined by my team, as we'll be looking back at the last year of our podcast, um, and we look at some of our key interviews and some of the hot topics inside and outside the sport of hockey and how they helped shape 2020 and into 2021. Welcome to this podcast of Sensation. Here I am joined with uh, my co-host, Anthony Sino. Welcome, Anthony, to our last podcast of 2020. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Pat. Thanks. Um, yeah, been, uh, it's pretty crazy that um, 2020 is almost over. It really seems like forever ago since 2020 started. Um Right, uh, January seems like a very, very long time ago. It almost feels like 2020 had enough things going for all, for two years worth of stuff. So um, it's been it's going to be pretty uh, pretty cool to see the calendar turn. But um, yeah, like uh, I'm just really excited to for t- today the what we're going to look back on. Yeah, most definitely for me, the 2020 has been one hell of a year. You know, we started off with COVID. And then the the league stoppage in the in across all the major sports, to a whole bunch of the you know the the really at the end of the day some of the more important topics, um, you know as in racism and, and social justice issues, um, you know more open conversations around homophobia in the sport of hockey and in sports in general to racism in hockey and in the sport in general, um, and we also looked at mental health and and really you know where the nhl is hopefully beginning to evolve in um in the way of you know less fighting and more you know really taking you know mental health issues uh, and making them a, a really important issue that, that that becomes not only for the players but for the league and for its fans um because for so long we, we kind of took it for granted some of these players helped and it was nice to have guys like dan carcillo come on and share their experience I think it offers a different context. <coughs> Sorry about that. Uh, a different context no to what you know, to what we're you know what we've come accustomed to um, from the world of hockey. If, if the season hadn't been interrupted, I think we would have lost out on these really key and you know important cultural uh, touch touchstones throughout the year. Um, you know, I just want to kind of get your thoughts on you know. You know, some of the interviews that we discussed, maybe not necessarily just pick one, but maybe just overall, like what was your key lesson um, that you took away from 2021? To me, it was definitely to, um, I'll, I'll definitely say it's to appreciate uh, what we have, right? Um, like, of course, 2020 is um, is a crazy, has been a crazy, crazy year, Um and 
a lot of people lost loved ones this year and the sad thing is is that those like now people have to go through the holidays um and in a in a smaller setting uh for uh, like safety purposes public safety uh reasons as well but then also there are some families that have to deal sadly with um an, an empty chair at the table and and to me that very that really is heartbreaking um because it's it's just something that is so out of this world no one could have predicted a global pandemic to this magnitude and and it just makes you really appreciate what you have and um i forget which commercial you see but it, it ties in really nicely into like my thoughts on 2020 which is like um you we hugged a lot less a uh, hugged a lot of less people but we hugged our clo- our close family tighter and and to me that's something that that makes a lot of sense um and and it just really ties in uh to the the takeaways for myself in 2020 um just really appreciate what you have and and uh, and also to to listen right to to be to be a good listener and to always truly understand um, so someone else's side of the story. Um, because um, if we're not listening to other people, then you're just going to be in your, stuck in your own predispositions. And, and to me, that just doesn't make any sense. There's no way to evolve that way. There's no way to grow up that way. So that's, that's my, that, those are my takeaways from 2020. Uh, for me, you know, you touched on a lot of the key ones for me. Um, you know, the appreciation for family and friends. Um, 2020 wasn't necessarily an easy year for myself and my family. Uh, we lost a lot of family and friends, not necessarily directly to COVID, uh, but just in general. Um, and it really made me appreciate a lot of the smaller moments in life that, you know, we do take for granted. Um, and two, you know, the other really important lesson that I learned is um you're, and you touched on it funny enough as well, is the, the, the act of listening. Um, you know, so many times, you know, in conversations, you know, we always want to be the first to be heard or we just want to be heard. Um, but really the, the art of communication um, and where you learn the most is, is when you're listening. Um, you know, it's when you put yourselves in situations where um you know you're made to feel uncomfortable you're 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 having your opinions challenged um you know we covered a lot of difficult topics this year you know our 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 first major interview was with Dan Carcillo and we looked at mental health and you know and and fighting in hockey and you know the the reasons why you know the NHL is is trying to push towards a non-fighting league and and why it's so important and, and player health and, you know, seeing players as human beings and not these gladiators that are there for, you know, for our entertainment only, um, you know, and really seeing the human side of the sport of the players and managers and everyone involved in it. But then to see the personal side of our communities, our neighbors that are struggling and, and going through their own personal battles, you know, I know with COVID, you know, also we saw a huge onset of mental health and a lot of people feeling lonely. So, you know, trying to be an ear to listen to, but then also being a source of positivity, you know, just that once, you know, that one gesture of positivity, you know, can make that that next person's week. You just you just never know. Um, 
you know, the impact that you can have. And, you know, I, I, I didn't realize and I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily appreciate our impact uh, when I, and when I was starting to get emails and calls and, and text messages and direct messages about some of the topics that we covered and the appreciation and having some of our listeners share their own heartache and their own stories, um, you know, really allowed me to gain a different perspective on life, on the sport of hockey and, you know, and who I want to be as I continue to evolve as a human, because you can't stop, you can't stop learning, you can't stop evolving. Um, and I, I'm really grateful for the guests that have, that came on and, and put themselves out there and, and, and shared some really horrible personal, you know, tragedies and stories. Um, but, you know, on a positive note, so many of them are, are, are taking, you know, their challenges and are trying to make the lives of others better. So, you know, that, that was another one of my huge, huge takeaways for 2020. Yeah, of course. Right. Like, that we do sorry and and having that platform allows us to 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 really just get exposed to these truly truly interesting people um and hear their stories and and hopefully passing that information along to to our listeners right and and they can um truly understand um what it's like to be in in someone else's shoes and and then hopefully it it evolves the the hockey community yeah it's you know for so long you know we've we had a certain perspective of the sport i know i did um and i know so many of our interviews um gave me a sense of pause be it our interview with mark frazier our interview with brock mcgillis um you know interview with dan carcillo each brought a different story within the sport of hockey to the forefront. Um, you know, Mark Fraser discussed some of his heartache and some of his difficulties coming up in the minor hockey league and some of the stories of other, you know, people of color that have, that were playing hockey at the same time. Um, you know, we heard the Dan Carcillo story about, you know, some of his issues with concussions and, and how that impacted his mental health and, and how that, you know, you know, probably really limited his career. And then we look at, you know, what Brock McGillis went through and and some of the work that Brian Burke, ex-Toronto Police General Manager, is doing um, in making hockey a more inclusive sport through some of his work. Um, you know, it's it, it really gave me a, a sense of pause. And I'm, I'm grateful to all the guests that came on, like I had said earlier. Um, but it really did give me an opportunity to learn and and that's something that I'm really grateful for for 2020 is the ability to have learned, to have listened. Um, and I think for me, one of my big, one of the, the, the most impactful interviews that we did was the one with Dan Carcillo. Um, you know, him sharing, you know, so like essentially sharing, you know, what it was like, you know, having to go out there and fight and then beginning to starting to see the physio physio physiological changes and the emotional changes. Um, and, and now into his work with, you know, how he's treating his, you know, his mental health and how he's doing so much better. Like, I just, I, I'm still, I'm still learning, you know, that there's, there's still so many new stories left to tell. Um, and I'm really proud of, of what we did, um, you know, 
through this past year to really bring some of these social issues to the forefront um, when there wasn't sport kind of acting as a distraction? Yeah, like to me, there's so there's so many interviews to choose from in terms of like what we thought, what what I thought was most powerful. You mentioned Dan Carcillo. Um, Dan probably for me is someone where my opinion truly did change um, from before the interview uh, uh, to after after hearing his his thoughts and his story is like. You see Dan, and I'll just lay it out perfectly, like right now. You see Dan on TV, and you see how crazy he gets when he's fighting. You see him taunting. You see him doing all these things, and, and as a fan, you see that side. And then to to hear after what's going on behind the scenes, the, it really does make you step back and be like, this this at the end of the day, professional hockey is just a game, right? And... And it's it's for our entertainment, right? When you go watch a movie and Leonardo DiCaprio is playing a certain character, let's say, or whoever it might be, they they go home and they live their own life after after they get off set, right? So and after after they get off camera. So the, to me, that analogy stands true here because these players really do go through tough times, um, and. It's it's really a shame that the, that the league doesn't do more to to help to help these players have a life after hockey, right? And 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 that gets lost on people is that m- most of these guys are done their hockey careers. Let, let's at, at at best case thirty five, right? You hope to live your life until you're eighty. Let's say eighty five. That's another forty five to fifty years. So to me, it's just like, what are these players doing after hockey? Are there mechanisms in place to make sure that these players have access to what they need, whether it be mental health services, whether it be um, pain relief, a, a job after hockey? These kind of things need to be need to really be nailed down for the future, right? And and it goes back to to just setting a standard for what hockey is going to look like in the future, right? We want kids to play hockey the numbers have stayed stagnant for many years and it's because the sport's not evolving yeah the the sport of hockey um you know and i you know when we touched on this in our interview with mark frazier was the sport of hockey also isn't the most accessible it's not accessible to people of color it's not accessible to a lot of other minority communities um, low income housing, like low, low income yeah, families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Low income families are really struggle to get into the sport, and you know, it's if hockey is to grow into the new millennia, uh, our national sport should represent the national population, um, and it should be more reflective. You know, and and you know, the whole slogan of hockey is for everyone. It can't just be a slogan, like. You know, we you you hear it all the time, and and you know, NHL does a lot of these like one-offs, and they have all these programs throughout the season, you know. But it it really has to start filtering down through to the grassroots level, where a child's entire outlook on the sport starts right at the grassroots level. It's not in the NHL, 
if we're expecting a child to gain some positive reinforcement at the NHL level, then, you know, we've already lost them. Like, hockey needs to be accessible. Hockey needs to embrace those, um, those uh, the larger community, and it needs to become more accessible. We need to make hockey more affordable um, because there's so many stories that we could be losing out on that, you know, if we begin really knock down all the barriers, who knows what other stories can come? You know, we, we, you know, we look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, for example. Who knows we what have... other athletes can come through? Exactly. You know, like, we look at, you know, the Leafs, Austin Matthews, for example, like, his whole, you know, he's half Mexican, born in Arizona, got his first, California. you know, taste. California, got, from, from Arizona, though. Yeah, yeah, and then he gained his whole experience through being taken to a Coyotes game from his uncle, you know, and mm-hmm. those are the types of stories that I think, you know, shouldn't be the exception. It should just get to a point where it becomes the norm, where, you know, like we shouldn't, we should be looking at other stories because I think that's what's going to make hockey so rich. You know, we're losing at potential athletes to, you know, because of some of the barriers, because of some of the racism that, that happens through the minor league system, through a lot of the politics, you know, like it just, it, it's, it, if there's one thing that I did take away that kind of left me thinking was just, the lost opportunity that we that we that we we miss out on when we allow this to fester in a sport, especially at the grass, grassroots level. And I think, and I think, what to to extend this further in terms of what the a problem with especially youth hockey that I'm that I see a lot now is that the game is professionalized at such such a young age now that it just it it turns people off like right away there it's and and it's not necessarily something that maybe I I can't recall whether Dan or Mark or even Anthony uh, Stewart touched on this, but like, there's no reason why your 10 or 11 year old kid needs to wear a suit to his hockey games. There's there. It's just, there's no reason why um, an 11 year old kid needs three skill coaches, a power skating coach. He needs a stick handling coach. He needs a shooting coach. And that's outside of his regular team uh, commitments. There, there's just, it's just, it, the game is, I feel like it's gotten to a point where it's past, past the boiling point because of the way that the game is marketed. And we talk about Gary Bettman, people that know me know that I'm not a fan of him. I think that when you have a lawyer that is at the f- the face of your game, it's it's not he's not a, there to grow the business. He's there to be a, a representation for the owners who really only care about that bottom line, right? So, to me, you need someone there that can just get the best athletes to pick up a stick, as opposed to going to pick up a basketball or a soccer ball or a volleyball or whatever it is or baseball anything like that you need you need to be able to get these kids into arenas getting them equipment at a at a subsidized rate but the NHL is refusing to to do these things at a more increased level and you're going to see that it's going to have a tremendous effect on the game 
And you're going to see it with the Canadian national team when the lack of talent isn't building. And the problem I see the most is, is that people compare themselves to the best. Now, stick with me here, and, I, and this might be a little bit of a ramble, but you see Connor McDavid, you see the documentaries. You see that he trains with Gary Roberts. You see that he trains with uh, Performance Edge Pro or whatever that hockey school is. You see him, he's, he's on the medicine ball, stick handling. He's doing this. He's, he's got the, 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 the oxygen mask on. Um, he's doing the VO2 max test. He's doing all these things. And now that is set in other parents' heads where, okay, that's the standard now. The standard is just flipped because Connor McDavid. Well, I think what people need to understand is that not everyone's going to be Connor McDavid. And because that standard's there, you lose the next tier of athletes that can maybe not be the next Connor McDavid, but they can be an, a, a, a very valuable NHL player because that person decided to pick up a basketball or a soccer ball or a baseball because it's cheaper, right? So they, right as of right now, the game of hockey is cutting off its talent pool. And, and if that's not true, and, uh, and if you can realize that after listening to uh, stories from Dan or Mark or Anthony, then like, I, don't, I don't know how you're not seeing the problem in the game. No, I think too, and I and I heard them discuss this um, yesterday. I forget which of the I want to say it may have been Sportsnet, and they said that from a grassroots level, another thing that's limiting the growth of hockey is just how rigid. And you you kind of touched on it was the expectations, you know, like TSN, there's so many I think parents, it was TSN, but yeah, like there's there's so many like expectations, like you know, some parents can't make weekly practices or they can't make you know, daily, you know, like there's so much happening for a young athlete that it almost takes away from the enjoyment of the sport. And I, and I'm left to wonder if the sport, if the sport of hockey became fun again, how many more players would get into the sport? You know, what if the NHL started to help subsidize, you know, the, the, uh, the cost of ice time and made it affordable for more leagues and more teams to get involved? You know, more leagues and more teams mean more children involved in the sport. You know, more children involved in the sport, you begin to get this upswell of talent that you never saw before. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's, it sounds simple, and everyone's been harping on it. But, like, the NBA does a good job in, in their minor league systems and how they support, you know, the growth of the sport. And I would just like to see the NHL do the same. You know, take some of that money that they fight over every contract and put it into the minor league system. You know, go back to some of the vendors that make hockey sticks and say, hey, you know, why are children five, six, seven years old having to go to their parents and ask for a five, six, seven hundred dollar hockey stick? You know, that they might only use one season. You know, like, why is the cost of equipment for children so expensive? You know, like, some of these kids are growing year after year after year, so the parents are spending thousands of dollars year after year after year you know, some some people cannot afford that, um, and it just I just find that it that just the financial barrier, you know, takes out a whole chunk of kids right out right out of the system because it's not, not feasible. To, and that's not even to like we're to, we you talk about the financial barrier how it cuts off 
a large portion of the ta- of the of the general population, the talent pool, let's say, let's call it. And then if there are people that are allowed to persevere in, in given all these barriers just to play the sport, now once they're in, are is the general community of hockey treating them as one of their own? And again, sad sad enough reality is is that that's not always the case, right? You 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 hear stories about how the these minority hockey players get treated, what they get called on the ice. And the sad part is, Pat, is that it's not always from opposing players. It's from parents, grown grown ass people, grown ass adults are saying this stuff because they're caught up in the they're caught up in in what what I like to call is the, it's a vicious cycle. They're caught up in 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 this toxic toxic environment where they think that their eleven year old kid's hockey game is the game seven of the Stanley Cup Finals, and because uh, a kid that doesn't look like their son uh, beat them or is a better player than them, and then they just get caught up in the emotion and they lash out like it's just terrible. Yeah, you know, the videos online like you can. I'm sure you can look it up. There's a I'm sure there's a compilation of. Of uh, of videos where of parents freaking out at minor hockey games, the, it, yeah. it, it's 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 truly truly astounding. And look, and I, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way. There are crazy parents in every sport, every sport. But because hockey is already at a disadvantage, in my opinion, in terms of the uh, general accessibility to the public, right? With basketball. It doesn't take much to, to pick up a basketball, go to your local park, and start playing. Soccer, the same thing. Baseball, the same thing. Hockey is a much more niche sport where the avenue in terms of, of getting access to ice, right, and all, all those things, which to me emphasizes the, our point even more, is that if the NHL really wants to keep this thing going, keep this train chugging along, how are you not seeing the bottleneck that could potentially affect your game in the next 30 to 50 years and, and opening that up now, right? Because the, the, our generation, they're going to have kids, they're going to start playing hockey, right? And if that next generation after that is not going to play hockey, where is the sport in 50 years? It's, it's it, not going to be in a very good spot. I'll tell you that. No, and, and it's funny because, you know, there's this constant debate in hockey. What's a hockey market? What's not a hockey market? And really, you know, this, this whole idea of accessibility, you know, be it race, be it financial, whatever barrier, you know, it's when you even look at smaller markets in the United States, how best to sell a sport than to create storylines and to create athletes within that state, that city, that province, that people never thought of, you know, like having, you know, producing the next Austin Matthews, producing, you know, the next PK Subban or Mark Frazier. It's those stories that sell it, that sell the sport in non-traditional hockey markets. Like I've always, and, and that this is something that I've taken away and I've really thought long and hard about is why are there so many non-traditional hockey markets? It's a sport like anything else, really. You know, it, it, it's how the NHL has sold it. 
it's how it's made it accessible to young kids to get into it. It's it's the people that it projects as its face and the impacts that some of their comments make, be it, you know, like we heard some of the, the crazy stories coming out of Calgary, you know, uh, you know, with, uh, with um, Bill Peters, you know, then we heard some of the comments made by Don Cherry, like these are the faces that people attach to the sport. And then we look back and we say, well, why isn't it growing? You know, why are there so many non-traditional hockey markets that aren't growing? Like, why is the NHL struggling in certain markets? It's because the sport doesn't resemble the marketplace. You know, like, every other sport, it, you know, basketball. It, yeah, it, and I think, you know, you know what it is, Pat? Um, and I was discussing this with some some friends, actually, last week, is that... It in in the United States, the population is so great, and that for the NHL to compete with these other sports and basketball and football and stuff like that, like you know maybe it's it's just too big of a task to to bear, and like I get it, like you, going up the NFL is is so much bigger. the The NHL doesn't make a dent in what the NFL makes, right? And it's going to be similar in the NBA soon. But where you can make that difference is just you got to be able to to make it affordable. Make it to get it to a point where these people are choosing a stick over a basketball or a soccer ball or a football, right? Because if you can show that really this sport you can thrive in, right? And when they have examples of, of minority hockey players thriving in the NHL, promote them. Promote the shit out of them. Yeah, and I think, too... Um, Millions actually, of eyes. Yeah. No, and I think, too, just making the sport fun. Like, I know I touched on this earlier on in our podcast, but making the sport fun, like, you know, like, maybe opening up some free rinks for free ice time for children to just get on the ice and shoot the puck around. Like hockey doesn't have to be so stuffy. Like some of my fondest memories growing up as a child was playing ball hockey in the middle of the road with a bunch of my friends and, you know, pretending I was Doug Gilmore and pretending I was, you know, at one point when I would play goalie Felix Potvin or Grant Fuhrer or whoever it was I was following at the time. Like, the sport of hockey has become such a business that it forgot what it was. And I think that to really open the doors and really get more people involved is you have to make it fun. You know, we like minor hockey, like even just house league becomes so competitive. And, you know, I, I don't think the children really enjoy it. And that becomes their first takeaway of something that, you know, they would love to gain that passion in is, you know, making the sport fun, you know, being able to maybe buy a hockey stick and just jumping on a patch of ice somewhere and, you know, playing the sport and having fun. And, you know, like, I forget who it was that was mentioning it and, and how and why the European game grew so quickly was they're more of a skill and fun game. You know, like, they throw a bunch of kids on the ice, they throw a puck and it it it, it becomes fun, you know, and... You just, that, that's where the passion grows from. You know, you, you grow passion for something when you enjoy doing it. 
And if you're being yelled at at such a young age and you're being ostracized or, you know, maybe you're told you're too short or too small or whatever the case may be that you can't do something, you know, you're dealing with impressionable minds and, you know, children don't do, don't know the difference. So when they're being told they're not doing something right or they can't do something, then they look to something that they can do. You know what I mean? Like, there's this, there's so much of an, of an opportunity for the sport of hockey to grow um, by just bringing the fun back and injecting that into hockey for, especially at the grassroots level. And like leaving the developmental stuff when kids get into their teens and, you know, where, where you can kind of, you know, at, at least at that point, they've had their fun. Um, you know, those that really rise to the top will rise to the top. You know, you've you've knocked down all the barriers to allow as many people in and you know you grow these leagues and and you and you see where hockey can go and you create the stories that then begin to reflect the marketplace and then when the stories begin to reflect the marketplace then you bring new fans in um you know it just it brought it just 2020 if that's one lesson is just hockey as a whole really needs to have its doors knocked down and the kids just need to have fun again I completely agree, Pat. It's, it's, again, don't make it a business. Don't make it, don't make it something where there, it's like kind of like a means to the end. Don't treat minor hockey like it's, this is just another step to the pros. This is just another step to the junior hockey. What if the kids should not even be thinking about what the next level is, at least until they're like, Like, just, I would say just make sure that you're having fun. Yeah. Right? Because because the moment that you start treating it like a means to an end, that's where you're setting yourself up for either disappointment or you're losing other opportunities um, for your kid or another kid. And it just creates a toxic environment that, that really needs to be, that really needs to be fixed. Oh, most definitely. And you know what? What's a Maple Leafs podcast without a quick look back before we end uh, the year in review? You know, let's just, you know, kind of touch on, you know, how the 2019-2020 season went for the Maple Leafs. You know, it seemed to have been chopped up. Um, you know, the first quarter brought its own little storylines with the firing of Mike Bab- Babcock and, and the Sheldon Keith era starting um, to then COVID shutting down the NHL and then the play-in. Um, round where the Leafs, you know, unfortunately lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, but Anthony, you know, what were your thoughts on this past season? And, you know, and, and maybe just kind of give your thoughts on, you know, what your thoughts were on, on the offseason work by the Leafs as well, very quickly. Um, so to me, I think the 2019-2020 season was um, a terrible failure for, for this team. Um, but on the other hand, in failure, you can take lessons from it. And if you're taking lessons from it and, and, and changing your train of thought, then then that is, I guess, for the best. But, um, yeah, like there's really nothing much else to say than I think Kyle Dubas misjudged um, experience as a, as a very important asset to a hockey team. And it showed that the weakness 
the mental stability uh, of the team. They were just so fragile between the ears that it just it just affected him. It allowed them to get too high when they were winning, and it allowed them to get extremely low, and the, allowed the lows to continue for for stretches and stretches of games, right? And um, and that was echoed, right? When not not to I'll just bring up one quick story when Zach Bogosian was saying. Uh, when he after he signed with the Leafs this offseason, he said, "Yeah, I was actually supposed to sign with them before the trade deadline, but then they shut down the meeting after the the David Ayers game." Now I know it's a it's one night in like March and like how it's just it's going to get brought up by the end of the time by other fan bases, but to me as a Leaf fan, I was so disappointed not because they lost, but it just looked like they were just okay with being embarrassed, I guess, right? If they get, if they got more shots on net and the goalie just stood on his head and it was just a, an act of God that this uh, e-bug goalie comes in and saves the day, then okay. But they gave up. So to me, that showed the mental fragility of the group. Um, but now to turn it around to the offseason, I think that they, they made moves that counteracted that. They bring in guys with strong voices in a dressing room, a lot of experience, not just toughness on the ice, but mental toughness that can go in and give Mitch Marner a, a, a shake and say, hey, like, yeah, we just gave up three goals that second period. Forget about it now. Go and be a special player in the third. And I, and I don't think they had that last season. No, I, I think for me the biggest takeaway or one or a couple of different storylines that was the difference of the rookie coach. Um, I think they what I think they finished what in the high sixes for winning percentage, almost a seven hundred winning percentage, if I'm not mistaken, under Sheldon Keefe. If you remove the time with Mike Babcock, um, I thought you we started to see a little bit more of the skill game. Um, you know, they did lack on the defensive side of the puck. And Anthony, I think you did touch on, you know, a lot of the key topics. I think there was still a lot of mental immaturity in that locker room. Um, and that's not to put it on the guys that are no longer with the team. Like, that's not to say it was 100% Kapanen's fault or or um, Andreas Johnson. Johnson's fault or, or any of the players that are no longer on the team. But I think the team needed a different element in the locker room. Um, I think, you know... Luckily for management, they assessed who they wanted their core to be. And, you know, they stuck with the Nylander, Riley, Tavares, Marner, Nylander core. But I think they finally offset it with a nice bunch of those that have been there, done that. Um, in the case of Joe Thornton, that, you know, wants to win. You know, he wants to be, he wants to win the Stanley Cup. You know, he wouldn't have left, you know, the San Jose Sharks team that he's been the captain of for years if he didn't. And I think that that attitude and, and those voices like the Wayne Simmons, like the, you know, the Bogosians, the Thorntons, um, even Jimmy, you know, on the, on the lighter side of things like Jimmy Vesey and, and some of the other guys that they acquired via trade, like these different voices are now all hungry because they all want to be, they all, they're all coming in with a chip on their shoulder. You know, like Absolutely. Joe Thornton is the guy that, you know, no one thinks you can win a cup with. Well, he wears that chip on his shoulder. You know, a lot of people wrote off Wayne Simmons because he had a rough year last year. 
he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. You know, if there's one thing that, you know, not having hockey for almost a year allowed him to do was heal from all his injuries. He's probably bigger, stronger, faster than he's ever felt. And he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. But the one thing that I do want to see is the incumbents coming into this season with a chip on their shoulder where they don't feel comfortable. And I really don't think that they should be in a position to feel comfortable because if the season goes off the rocker like it did last year where they couldn't win around, I don't see the core sticking around. And I've been unapologetic for the core. You know, I've, I've, I've always felt, you know, you need to be patient. Um, but, you know, let's see how this season plays out. It's going to be another irregular COVID season. You know, that I would hate to think that that bakes in some excuses. I hope not. And I hope that the Leafs really take advantage of the opportunity that they're given by being in an all-Canadian division where, you know, on, on paper, their roster looks like it's probably either the, first, the, the, the number one or at the very least number two strongest in that division. Yeah, outside I'm of fired. Calgary. I'm so fired up for a Canadian division. Right? So, I, you know, that's, here's... that's like every game is just must yeah, every watch. Game's the rivalry's play. there, you know what I mean? Like, it's like yeah. shortened season. Like, you can't turn it off for three games anymore. It's like... No. It's, every game's a playoff it, game. It, yeah, Every it's game you're going to be pushed. Yeah, every Electric, game you're going to be sure. pushed to do really well. So, you know, I'm looking forward to that. And I, I like the additions that Kyle Dubas made in this offseason. Um, and I look forward to what 2020 brings. You know, I, I'm really positive with where the Leafs are going. I'm really positive, you know, with the lessons that we learned and the relationships that we established that, you know, we can continue to grow ourselves. And, you know, you know, my final thoughts, and Anthony, I'll toss it to you uh, right after I give my final thoughts, but I'd like to thank all the listeners, all our guests um, that have made 2020 such a special year for us. Um, thank you for taking in our content. And, uh, you know, we look forward to further conversations, um, you know, through our social media. So definitely give us a follow on Twitter um, and, uh, you know, subscribe to our podcast and catch, you know, our weekly podcast um, as we come out of the holiday season. Yeah, um, I'll just echo what you said, Pat. Like, obviously, like, even even your like, I don't want to speak for all three of us, but like, I don't think any of us. Uh, could ex- expect the growth that that we had, um, not just from a from a, a a volume perspective, but just true like quality of content perspective. Like we really did work our asses off and pumping out great content for our listeners, and ultimately we wouldn't be here without them. And more importantly, like our guests that are just willing to. Um, donate their time to to tell their stories to to answer our questions and I just think it's it's just so important that that they it's just so important to to for us that they were able to tell their stories and obviously thank you to the listeners again like just for always being there for us it was a huge year we look forward to giving you a lot more content in in 2021 uh, thank you so much, Anthony. Um, you know, I guess to all our listeners and to yourself, you know, have a happy and safe holiday season. And, um, you know, look out for a brand new podcast in early 2021. Thanks again, everyone.